Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Hello. Welcome to SACPA and uh, happy Valentine's Day to all the ladies and the guys, I guess. Uh, we have a local man with us today, Tom Sindlinger. I have someone special to introduce him, so I'll just get on with the regular. Uh, please turn your cell phones off. And and also put a little bit of money in the basket, like $11. Uh, if someone at each table could please make sure that uh, be the treasurer, so to speak, so when we pick it up. Uh, I'm, I'm here all by myself today. Lisa is uh, not here right now, so I'll be a busy guy. That's why I uh, uh, solicited the services of Tim Tallstrup to come and introduce Tom Sindlinger. They have a connection through basketball. Uh, I think they played maybe against each other, and uh, they probably had their battles over the years. And they're both members of the Lethbridge Sports Hall of Fame as well. Uh, so I invite uh, Tim to come up and introduce Tom. Well, when Tom, uh, or when Canood uh, mentioned Tom was coming to southern Alberta, I got pretty excited because we go way back. I don't know if any of you are basketball fans, but in the, in the uh, Christmas tournament that Doug Sports sponsored, Tom was one of the greatest players that played in that tournament, and uh, he's the one that got me motivated in basketball. But anyway, uh, Tom is a Canadian economist with a focus on a proper marketing of natural resources, transportation, and governance. He is a former elected member of the Alberta Legislative Assembly for the riding of Calgary Buffalo. While in office, he was instrumental in establishing the Jimmy Condon Athletic Scholarship, which to this day is available to all eligible student-athletes studying at post-secondary institutions in Alberta. Now, having just retired a few years ago from the, being the athletic director at the Lethbridge Community College, I was able to uh, be a, a witness to this program that Tom got started through the Alberta government. And it's been a real blessing to our student-athletes as they've tried to combine academics and athletics over the years. And it's a still active program, and uh, it makes a lot of the athletes uh, be able to go to school a little longer get their education. Singlinger was also successful, completed 18 international projects in 12 countries for both private and public entities, such as the Canadian International Development Agency, the National Democratic Institute in Washington, and the Jimmy Carter Center in Atlanta. So it's a pleasure for me to introduce you to Jim and look forward to, uh, or I mean Tom, 
Jim was his coach, Jim Whitelaw, and he's here today as well. So we look forward to hearing from Tom. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everybody. I left uh, Lethbridge 50 years ago. Thank you. 50 years ago, I left Lethbridge. And whenever I come back here, I like to walk around the city to see what things have changed. And I'll tell you, a lot has changed in those last 50 years. I went to Galbraith Elementary School on 9th Avenue North. Uh, when I went to that school, it was surrounded by wheat fields. Last week I went there, and there are nothing but houses there today. Uh, my sister and I used to walk all the way from number three, which was where the uh, uh, coal mine was. I don't know why it's called number three. I tried to ask Mr. Uh, Soke, Soke over here why it was, and Mr. Toth, who was a miner, and he said, well, number six was called number six. Number eight was called number eight. And that was number three. <laughs> After Galbraith School, I went to uh, Fleetwood School. And uh, Fleetwood School isn't there anymore. But it was a grand, large, red brick building. And Mr. Lakey was the principal. Mr. Joe Lakey. Some of you might remember him as being an alderman for a while. Well, he gave me the strap for throwing one snowball. And what aggravated me the most about it was I didn't even hit the kid I threw the snowball at. <laughs> From Fleetwood School, I went to the Gilbert Patterson School. And it's still there. But I was the first class in that school. It was just being built. As a matter of fact, as students, we still had construction going on around us. But I had the pleasure of being on the first student council at that school. And then from Gilbert Patterson School, I went to the Lethbridge Collegiate Institute, LCI. And I played football and basketball there. And two years ago, we had the 50th year reunion for the basketball and football teams. I was really excited about going to this, this reunion, but I was the only person who showed up. <laughs> there was just me and 150 old guys there. <laughs> and they're all wondering who I was. <laughs> Our coach at the time was Mr. Jim Whitelaw, who is here today. And he was a great leader, a wonderful gentleman, wonderful man for all of us. And at this reunion, I was hoping to get some comments from him about my athletic career while he was a coach. After all, I'd been telling my children for 50 years and then my grandchildren that I was probably the greatest high school athlete that Canada has ever seen. <laughs> but all Mr. Whitelaw could say was... Uh, Tom, you were a fine gentleman. <laughs> and I thought after all those years, I was a fine gentleman. That's the best athlete I could be. But even in him saying that to me, there was a message to me that he had really given us 
when I played for his teams. And that was that there is no greatest athlete. There is no one person that you can attribute our success to. There is no one person can, you can look to and say that our team, our community, our society owes everything to. It's that we are a team, and it's not just one individual. And after he said that to me about being a fine gentleman, I thought about that, about the lesson I learned throughout my life that I'd carried on, that it wasn't just me and it wasn't just him or her. It was all of us together. And what we have in this community, what we have in our society, is a result of what all of us have done together. And I thank Mr. Whitelaw for that lesson. Uh, and Mr. Whitelaw is here today as well. Excuse me. <clears throat> After I, went, uh, after I left LCI, I went to the Lethbridge Community College. And in those days, that's what, <clears throat> what it was called, the Lethbridge Community College. There wasn't a university yet, and I also coached the basketball team. And the basketball team didn't have a name. It was just the college. And so as a uh, bonding exercise for the team players, I asked them to go and come back in a week and suggest a name for the team. And I suggested they pick a name that was relevant to Lethbridge or Lethbridge and area, something like the irrigators or the wheat harvesters or the gophers or something like that. Well, a week later, they came back. They had decided the team was going to be called the Kodiaks, the Lethbridge Kodiaks. And I scratched my head, and I thought, what the hell is a Kodiak? <laughs> well, it turns out a Kodiak is a bear that you can only find on a small island in the Gulf of Alaska. <laughs> so, Tim, that's how your basketball team and your school got the name the Kodiaks. <laughs> I had to leave Lethbridge at that time because, Dr. Christo, you hadn't built your university yet. And there wasn't an opportunity to study and finished a degree here, so I went to Calgary. But it doesn't matter how long you go or how far away from where you grow up, you always take a bit of your home with you. And the things that you do are always reference to things that you learned or did in your home. And if that isn't enough, you always run into little things that remind you of your home. A couple examples. Earlier in my career, I was in the office of a senator from Tennessee. And after we had finished discussing our business, I made a comment about this fine pheasant that he had stuffed on his mantle above the fireplace. I was living in Montreal at the time, so he knew I was from Canada. And he said, well, this would be of interest to you. I got that pheasant in a town or in a, by a small town near Lethbridge. And he says, it's some of the finest shooting in the world, right around Lethbridge, the town he mentioned was Welling. And I looked at him, I said, oh, really? <laughs> and I can remember later in my career, I, uh, I was in the embassy in uh, Moscow. And uh, somebody in the party was talking about the longest, highest bridge of its kind in the world. I thought, aha, I know that bridge. 
Here I am in Moscow, and someone's talking about the longest, highest kind of a bridge of its kind in the world. So I had to get into the conversation, and it was quite nice. And after a while, I had to relate a story of which I'm quite proud. And I use it quite often at parties to impress people. <laughs> when I turned 50, I ran 50 kilometers from Fort McLeod to Lethbridge. Now, people might wonder why I chose that route. Well, obviously, you all know it's probably the flattest route you ever find anywhere. <laughs> and I'm very pleased with how I do impress people with that story. But I know I can't tell that story in Lethbridge because people in Lethbridge wouldn't be impressed by that story. People would be impressed in Lethbridge if I told them that I had run from Lethbridge to Fort McLeod upwind. <laughs> Anyway, what I want to tell you, what I want to talk about is change today. I've told you that how I come back here and when I look around, I see so much has changed. Everything has changed. But I can tell you about one thing that has not changed. One thing that has not changed over the last 50 years, over the last 100 years. Ah, thank you, sir. Thank you, Everett. Thank you, Everett. And thank you, Mr. Toth. <laughs> thank you, sir. <clears throat> One thing that hasn't changed, what is that? I can tell you from experience in business. I can tell you from my experience in government. I can tell you my experience in, in economics and traveling around the world. And one thing that has not changed is government. We have the same kind of government today that we had 100 years ago. 100 years ago when we had telegraphs, today we have the Internet. 100 years ago when we had horse and buggies, and now we have jet airplanes. But government has stayed the same. Now, some people might say that's a good thing because we know what government is going to be tomorrow. And the only answer to that is it's going to be the same as it was yesterday. And a lot of people don't think that's a good idea, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I know that most people don't think that's a good idea. Because the majority of people don't bother to even vote anymore. In the last election in my riding in Calgary, 70% of those people eligible to vote did not vote. 70%. Growing up in Lethbridge, every year, November 11th, I, with thousands of other Lethbridgeites, would gather at the Cenotaph. And it was impressed upon me and everyone else so often that the most important thing we could do, the legacy that all these people had served for us, was the right to vote. Now, each election that we have, fewer and fewer people vote. In this election I refer to where 70% of the people did not vote, only 11% chose the winning party. So the person that's representing me now was elected by 11% of the electorate. 
Well, the question is, do we need change? And I say, yes, that's the prime reason why we need change. People will not vote. So then the next question is, well, why don't they vote? And the reason you often get is, well, those people will promise you one thing one day, vote for me today and I'll do this for you tomorrow. Well, they're voted in and what do they do the next day? Well, it's not like what they said the day before. You can see the... You can see this election after election. I remember the first one, I, this suddenly struck me when our Canadian Prime Minister said, elect me and we will not have wage and price controls. The other guy said, elect me, we'll have wage and price controls. This man's nodding over here, so you probably know the Prime Minister I'm talking about. He's in office three months later. What did he do? Wage and price controls. At the same time, there's an American president being elected. And he said, read my lips. Read my lips. Some of you might remember that. Yeah, good old George. Read my lips. I don't know how many months it took, to him, took for him to say, read my lips. I got some new taxes for you today. I don't like what happens after that. Because people start looking at politicians, and I hate to use these words as crooks and liars. Now, I, it's been 30 years, more than 30 years since I was in office. I'm a father. I'm an economist. I'm an international traveler. But people still look at me as being a politician. It doesn't matter what I do. 30 years later, I am still a politician in their eyes. And the image is not good. The image is not good. I want people to look at me as somebody who represented their interest, who did what I was elected to rep do, to represent them. The biggest problem I see with our system today is that the people we elect do not represent us. They do not represent the people who elect them. What they do is represent the party in government. And they take the party's message back to the people. Elected representatives become missionaries for the party that's in power. It doesn't matter who you get standing here, whether it's Mr. Trudeau or Daniel Smith last week or Mr. Mason next week, or Mr. Uh, who's the other guy you're going to have here? I've forgotten his name. Uh, Sherman. Mr. Thank you, Mr. Sherman. It doesn't matter what they do when they stand here and rail against government and promise this tomorrow. They will not be able to deliver on it. And it's not because they're not honest people. It's not because in their life they're not your next door neighbor. It's not because they're not sincere about it. It's because the system that we have will not allow them to do what they say they're going to do today. The system is old. It worked well 100 years ago when we were riding around horses and buggies. It worked well when we were using the telegraph. But we travel in jet airplanes, and we have the Internet today. And if we're going to have people, our neighbors, represent us in the legislatures and the parliaments of this country tomorrow, 
we have to change our system. We have to develop and develop it over time. And that's what I am doing here today. And that's what I am doing throughout Alberta. I am holding small workshops. I am talking to groups like yours and saying that it's time that we moved on. We need to change the rules by which we are governed. And it is only we that can do that. Only we can change the rules by which we are governed. Because once the parties get in the system, once they get into government, it's in their best interest to maintain the status quo. They will maintain the status quo. So, what to do about this? I am advocating a new rule book for government. And there is only one person that can write that rule book. That's you, and you especially, and you, and you, us. We can write this rule book. We can write the rules. And the way we do that is by developing a constitution for this province. A constitution is the rule books, the rules by which the government governs us. And it's up to us to write those rules. The Canadian Constitution says that we can have our own constitution in each province. Sections 41 to 45 recognize provincial constitutions. There is only one province that has taken advantage of that, and that is British Columbia. British Columbia has a constitution. We hear about the United States Constitution all the time. But each state in the United States has a constitution for its state government. This council has a constitution, the rules by which you operate. I was given a copy of them the other day. And here say, it says, here's the rules. They call them bylaws or guidelines. But it's a constitution. Everybody has a constitution, but the largest corporation in this province the largest body, the largest entity in this province. The Alberta government does not have a constitution. I want you to think about that, and also I want you to give me your opinion on that. I have a website that asks what you think about a provincial constitution. And I'd like you to go to that website if you take the time, please, and tell me, do you agree or disagree? If you disagree, it'll save me a lot of effort and a lot of time. I can stay home. If you agree, I'll keep on doing this. I think it's a worthwhile thing to do. And I think it's the only thing that we can do to establish in a relationship, a direct relationship between us and our government. So the next time that you see a government representative walking down the street, you'll say of that person, like he will say, there's my old teacher. There's my old doctor. There's my MLA and there's my MP. And they serve me well. And that's how we should think of our elected representatives. And the only way that we can do that, in my experience, is to take charge of our government through a provincial constitution. 
Now, that's my story today. I want to thank, give thanks for two things now. One, first for Tim for introducing me. Tim is probably, in our era, was one, one of the best basketball players in this country. One of the best basketball players in this country, and I used to look up to him all the time. In more ways than one. I'm not sure that's why you're chuckling. <laughs> but it wasn't his basketball that really earned my respect. There was one night at this Lethbridge Christmas tournament with all the people in the stands there. For some reason, I don't know what the occasion was, I can't recall, that Doug Clark introduced Tim and his dad together at this ball game. And I can't recall what the reason was. But what I do recall, and I've never forgotten, is the way that Tim and his dad, when talking to the entire auditorium, looked at each other. The respect that Tim had for his dad and the admiration I can see in his dad's eyes. His dad loved him. And that's what I remember most about Tim. Not the fact that he was Canada's best basketball players, but that close relationship and respect that those two people had for each other. Now, the second thing I want to do is thank all of you for being here. And thank you for letting me say to you what I have today about a provincial constitution. And the way I want to thank you is this. Is I want you to know that wherever I am in the world and whatever I'm doing, I am always proud to say that I'm from Lethbridge. Thank you very much. Enjoy your lunch and uh, try and formulate some questions to Tom Sendinger about what you might think uh, a constitution should look like. <laughs>